0: Two Artists Walk Into a Bar. Now stop me if you've heard this one.
1: Listen in as artists and creators talk over drinks about their work, life, and the creative journey. Thanks
2: for tuning in to episode number three of Two Artists Walk Into a Bar. I'm your host artist, Carol McQuaid. Our guest artist today is muralist, painter, printmaker, Richard Tetrell. He's one of the key figures in a surge of big print projects, using 4x8 sheets of wood and a steamroller to make giant prints. Our bar is Havana on Commercial Drive in Vancouver, a happening spot with a great menu and a cool old-school theatre and gallery tucked in the back. You'll find links to all these things, including the artists and projects we talk about in the show, along with full show notes on our website, www.2artistswalkintoabar.com. If you like it and want to hear more conversations with artists, like, subscribe, and share. And if you love the show, head to the website where you can buy us our next round. Now let's head to Havana and listen in as Richard and I talk about steamrollers, the magic of collaboration, and how wandering across Mexico led to a lifetime of inspiration by the Mexican muralists. Cheers. The first time I met you was the first time I did the culture call and I walked into your studio and immediately, fell in love with your work and uh, the space, I just was like, ah, it became part of my Direction. I thought, oh, I, uh-huh. you know, I want to play. Right, right. And, uh, yeah, <laughs> we should all, and, uh, all have
0: studios like that.
2: Yeah, we should. Yeah. we should. Yeah. So, tell me a little bit about how you how you started in that space and how it evolved to where you are now. The
0: previous space at the corner of Kiefern Hawks mm-hmm. was a converted bakery. At least the part where my studio was, and the other part was an old house. 1890s vintage yeah and anyway big huge double lotted property well it's actually an interesting story about how the building became ours my partner esther was always eyeing places in the neighborhood and she was walking to the Firehall hall art center where she worked for 10 years and she walked past that building and saw a for sale sign and right. it was like she kind of didn't have anything to write it down she memorized the number got to there called up the owners and organized a tour through it yeah and so got together a group and uh, the arnsons and my brother dan who was uh, didn't have a really a fixed address at the time yeah and uh, one other person was brought in to make the numbers work an square foot building and what was interesting is i wasn't even here at the time i was on a residency in germany <laughs> for five months and so she being a bit of a trickster (laughs) didn't really let on she just sort of initially got excited and then she sort of cooled and said just the directive was not to spend all the Deutschmark that I was getting (laughs) as a stipendium (laughs) to uh keep some of it in a bank because we might need it
2: oh wow
0: (laughs) I came back to Vancouver that spring Uh and uh, she picked me up at the airport and drove in front of the building and said do you notice anything here and there was a for sale sign with a sold across it yeah and she said that's your new studio
3: oh wow yeah. oh my god
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah and so I had nothing to do with it so I yeah. can't claim you know to really be a part of that initial scramble to get that together and to get all the financing and to get it you know convince people because it was a pretty funky old building right yeah however that's how you can get a foothold or could get a foothold in Strathcona yeah and so that's both how we have managed to live in our apartment and <clears throat> subsequently into the studio at Kiefer and Hawks called Panificio Mm -hmm. Then uh, a couple of years ago, we sold our share in that building Mm -hmm. and bought this other building that came up for sale near us on Georgia Street, Mm -hmm. which also is a fix-up. So that's what we're on the stage of right now.
2: Yeah, and it is a really cool space. So It's it's a very cool space.
0: It's a big, long box, really, with nice big beams across and... uh, and a yard space in the back and everything, but it'll be an apartment and a studio and everything all in one.
2: How exciting that's. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mm-hmm. remember when I walked in there, I, I was interviewing your wife. Um, right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, maybe a year or so ago, two years ago for the Culture Crawl. Yeah. Um, and I thought it was just that front gallery space. I know, it's deceptive. And you walk in, it's like a wonder, like just seeing mm-hmm. the vision that you have for where it's going to mm-hmm. go is going to be Fascinating.
0: So then, then that front space will remain an exhibit area, and the rest be studio apartment. Yeah, 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 like that.
2: So you have been showing your work through the Culture Crawl, through galleries, and all over the city on and other cities and and towns. Giant buildings. Would you say your primary focus is the printmaking or murals or where is your?
0: You know, I don't really have a primary. I have three primary interests, and they they haven't really varied for uh, decades now actually Mm -hmm. although I must say you know sometimes the daunting sort of business of organizing and climbing scaffolds and doing murals is it's a lot to take on sometimes and it's a lot of kind of logistics and all of that right but I still love working collaboratively or working on my own projects on walls Mm -hmm. so I just did one like six months ago or so in Woodward's Uh, for um, KW Studios, which is in the Woodward's building. Mm -hmm. So they contracted me to do a project. And big concrete wall was really textural and full of character. And so it's an entrance to a recording uh, and performance space that is underground, one level under the atrium at Woodward's.
2: And when you say big, what is big to you?
0: Well... Actually, it's medium size, you know, but it's really more an inside wall. So it seems larger, mm-hmm. if you know what I mean. Yeah. It's not like off a swing stage or it's not six stories high. It's like story and a half yeah. kind of a thing. Yeah. Uh, 16, 18 feet by maybe 35 feet long, 40 feet long. So that's not huge by my standards. But what was it, what's interesting about it is very close You know, laterally, uh, so the perspective on it is more seeing it as you come and go Mm -hmm. has a different dynamic. Right. So you never can stand back. In other words, and really see it all. So it kind of had I fragmented it in a certain way, so it all retained an interest throughout. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, just a different sort of consideration of the space, right? Right. Um, So it's kind of an east side. Diorama in a in a way, you know, kind of like with some of the iconography I like using over the years, and yeah. um, you know, kind of a fragmented, abstracted streetscape with uh, figures and a dance element to it, mm-hmm. as well, yeah. and a music element to it. Yeah. And some kind of crow element that seems to creep into most yeah. of what I do. One way or the other.
2: Yeah. A lot of these things are, as you're saying these words, I'm thinking about different pieces of yours that I've seen over time. I love that fragmented cityscape kind of feel, and mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. yeah,
0: yeah, because it's like it kind of I want to create a locale, but I don't really like the, a literal mm-hmm. rendering so much as a, as a, as you know, kind of more um, abstracted. Right. Almost, almost cubist, but not literally cubist inspired. Yeah, yeah.
2: And you said that you have three sort of pillars, if you will, the printmaking.
0: Right. So the printmaking I started in the late '60s. Actually, I did my first print kind of independent of it, everything else. Mm-hmm. Um, some instructor I had in Saturday classes introduced me to it back mm-hmm. in when I was a teenager. And I, it was something that I gravitated to right away, relief printing particularly. Mm-hmm. And then I went to art school. I did take, you know, etching and did some etching and screen printing and such. But what really stuck was um, wood, wood print particularly mm-hmm. and uh, the general category of relief printing. So that was something also that I could do on my own, in my own studio, without ne- the necessity of a press. right. And so I, for the first 15, at least years, maybe 20 years, I did it all hand printing. Mm -hmm. So I still introduce that in my classes. I still have the um, means and kind of introduce the the option of hand printing Mm -hmm. so that you're not really tied as a printmaker to a press, which makes it a more versatile medium. As you know, Mm there is that capability. And if you have a press, it's it's a bonus. Right but it's not always the best route to go so I like hand printing still yeah. for the subjectivity you can bring to a, a piece Right. you know you can vary it right as you put a print a block on a press it's homogenous in that the pressure is going to be equal throughout whereas if you hand print it you can put more pressure or less depending on how you manipulate the baron so, right. so there are, are pluses to both Mm-hmm. not to mention the portability aspect so um yeah so then I started doing a lot of prints and I just have continued doing that kind of it's very works very nice in tandem with painting mm-hmm. and with murals yeah in fact some of my murals I design as prints first mm-hmm. and then they transcribe then I transcribe them in onto the walls just scale them up right and uh, you know there's something about the graphic nature of both mediums mm-hmm. that they're complementary. Mm-hmm. You know, in a mural, as you know, you kind of have to deconstruct your layers and color sequences and such. And in a way, it, it lends itself to a simplified pa- palette, colored palette, and 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 a more kind of um, yeah, kind of almost schematic in a way because some murals you're, you're kind of working it in in layers i mean you know laying one layer on a ground color and then working up from that or at least that's the way i work and in printmaking it's the same general concept yeah like a reduction print or or color print for example Mm -hmm. so um and then i do jigsaw prints and different approaches as well Mm -hmm. color printing But yeah, I love both of them equally. So it's like one is more process-oriented than the other. Like Mm -hmm. painting, you can have an idea and do it that morning. Yeah. Whereas painting, uh, printing, as you know, is a bit more like, yes, start and then think it out and plan it a bit more.
2: Right, right. And I would think the physicality, like do you find after you've done a project climbing up ladders and across scaffolding and... uh, is it a bit of a workout? Or are you so happy far, to... I
0: still love doing that. Yeah. You know, yeah, uh, yeah I, I like the physicality of it. I, like, I love the technical challenges of it, and I love scaling things up mm-hmm. and building scaffolds. Yeah, you know, like I like the logistics behind it. I think there's something about the geometry and 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 challenge of how to make the dynamics work and architecturally, right? Because it is a an architectonic medium in that sense or it can be yeah so some of the art i mean some of the muralists that really have inspired me over the past have dealt with the architecture of buildings beautifully like the mexican muralists for example and they were so brilliant at using the existing architecture because usually they were on they weren't on new buildings they're not like flat simple surfaces they're usually integrating them into porticos and Elko's and under you know that kind of a thing. Or I mean Siqueiros wrapping around corners and ceilings and you know. Yeah. I mean he was a bit of a madman, but yeah, you know, he he understood multiple point and studied yeah. multiple point perspectives and all of that. Yeah. So
2: I just saw his piece at Chapultepec in Mexico City uh, oh, a month ago. Uh, right. I was just like I I couldn't leave the room. (laughs) In in the castle, yeah. Yeah, yeah. it is amazing. And the way it turns corners, that is really, you know, you just as you walk in, you've got one long wall coming straight at you. And, you know, for me as a fledgling muralist, I would not know what to... It's pretty overwhelming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well so.
0: back yeah back in in, in the working with a public art group called Arts in Action we were invited to Mexico to uh, paint a mural in Cuernavaca, and we actually worked in Siqueiros' studio oh, oh my god Yeah wow. well uh, he has long gone yeah. he died in the 70s but right. not that long that we didn't meet people who had actually worked with him And when was we this? were there in 1991 91 mm-hmm. And we were invited down by the government of Mexico and put up and for six weeks and did a mural for the University of Cuernavaca. Wow. Yeah, but we got to work in his studio. So this is the place where he actually did all the component parts for a lot of his portable pieces, including his biggest one called the March of Humanity, mm-hmm. which is at the Polyforum in Mexico City, okay. which is a purpose-built, I mean, talk about like having the dream gig but he had a a, a, he had funding and support that actually they built a a building uh, called the Sequeros Polyforum and it's painted inside and out by him and his crew of course yeah and three-dimensional yeah so that that's an incredible piece to see as well yeah. Um, next time you're in Mexico City. Yeah.
2: yeah. <laughs> not that I need a big nudge to go anywhere, yeah, but well, that makes it... <laughs> it's
0: seriously overwhelming. But yeah. yeah, I mean, there's so much to see in Mexico City and there's just murals everywhere. And that was that was really where I got into murals, was traveling in the 70s in Mexico.
2: Yeah. So was that your... You had done murals before you went down there to do that project. Not though? really. No? no? Wow. No,
0: I, I had not. I, I mean... In the kind of mid 70s, I hitched through Mexico mm-hmm. one year and spent some months in different parts of the country. But um, my first impressions were uh, Orozco's mm-hmm. in Guadalajara mm-hmm. and uh, his fantastic dome, um, existential pieces, and just like nothing I'd ever seen before. Well, the closest equivalent in a way emotionally was el greco in toledo spain mm-hmm. because of that kind of incredible dynamic expressionism but at the same time orozco was painting on the walls whereas el greco as large as they were they were they were on canvas yeah, and such right but and- but um so that was my first and then I kind of got hooked on him initially and then that led to of course Rivera and yeah. Siqueiros and, and, and a bunch of others but in 91 when we were down there working then we met all these other people and we had a, a good colleague artist colleague who's Mexican mm-hmm. uh, um, uh, Jose Delgadillo mm-hmm. who's kind of an un not unknown but he's not as known mm-hmm. but he's like the subsequent generation of muralists mm-hmm. so we got to know him and invited him up to vancouver at one point and so we had a lot of back and forth you know there's a lot of uh, <clears throat> cross-pollination of ideas with mexican artists particularly through the 90s
2: yeah and you're still spending a fair amount of time in mexico yes are you not? Yeah. Yeah, yeah
0: as much as possible yeah, <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> and are you are you doing a projects down there when you go where do you go what's your experience i've done a
0: few since that including some shows through you know organized through some organizations in mexico city as well as um, mural symposium in tlaxcala which is outside of mexico city Mm -hmm. about eight or nine years ago or something like that and uh, subsequently show in merida Mm -hmm. uh, a big show with a group called our group Canada-based group called La Raza Artists, uh-huh. and we showed a big exhibition of paintings on Mylar, like mural-like paintings oh, all wow. rolled up on Mylar Yeah, that I carry down in a big sack.
2: So you're doing them and in your studio?
0: Yes. Well, we do it kind of between uh, artists in Ontario. Uh-huh. Um, our colleagues, uh, several based in Ontario, uh-huh. and so we ship it back and forth.
2: Ah, and you're collectively we working on We work in on the layers, layers over the same
0: piece. Wow. Yeah, so it's like taking it into another level. Yeah. So it has photography, because Esther's a part of it. Uh, Brian Sabi, Francis Caprani, uh, Gerald Pedros, they're all artists based in Ontario, St. Thomas in London, Ontario. Mm-hmm. Um, and we work so back and forth. Yeah. And so it's a way we've developed other pieces that we've shown in Croatia mm-hmm. and other parts of Canada, too, so it's portable it's like i consider them as portable murals some of them are 20 or 30 feet long and they just roll out yeah so you can actually roll them up and ship them and you know it circumvents all the practical issues around murals and 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 yet they can be shown indoors They're, they're meant to be shown in big spaces inside
2: yeah and do they ever show in Vancouver or other
0: we haven't yet yeah but I am that's one of the things I want to pursue more you know I mean we get onto these things and then just go full tilt into them and produce all this work and then show them a couple times and then we move you know that's yeah. also now we're on to other things but we're still using that a medium of um, working on mylar because it's very versatile. Mm-hmm. And you can print on it and you can yes. layer. And, you know, I really love layering mediums.
2: And are you layering the actual mylar as well? Or is it one also, flat? Yes.
0: Uh, okay. Yeah, so they get collaged together. Uh, now we're, uh, Esther's developing some of our photographs on mylar. Mm-hmm. And so they hang in front or behind. And then we backlight things like we've been working on a a series uh, on plastics in the environment Mm -hmm. and we've been using her photographs plastics in streams and such and on beaches Mm -hmm. fused with my wood prints Mm -hmm. of animals and endangered species it's a versatile medium you know that we're applying in different ways Mm -hmm. so these other series one's called the idea of north it's a really huge series that we worked on for years and another one we showed in croatia called the elusive landscape Mm-hmm. and uh, so they're both separate entities but they could be shown together or they can be shown separately right you know the problem is then you got the logistics of who's going to organize the shows and who's you know all the trying to lay the groundwork and we're just like restless artists so we get onto something and develop it so far and then it's like oh i got this great idea and then we start on a whole other yeah. project so we archive those and then You know, all the documentation is there and booklets and whatnot. Mm -hmm. But then we move on to something else.
2: Yeah, something shiny.
0: (laughs) Yeah, well, you know, everybody wants to work on new things, right? Yeah. So then the big print project came along, and then we got all excited about, you know, four by eight wood prints with a steamroller. Tell us how that started. And that's very compelling.
2: Yeah. Who was the first to just say, hey, let's try this?
0: It happens that there are other artists that have done large prints in Vancouver using steamroller back in the 60s. So I met a couple artists, Mary Blaze, and uh, she said, you know, we did something back in early art school days or something, right? And there are other organizations, printing shops across North America have done some versions of steamroller printing. But how it came about here in Vancouver for our generation of it is... um, I was working at Malaspina Printers, and as you know, I do fairly large woodcuts. I was uh, kind of working away, and uh, Peter Braun from New Leaf saw that, and he said, oh, you know, we should collaborate and do something together. And he had this idea of, you know, that he had seen elsewhere as well, and I I was aware of it, but he kind of was a catalyst in getting that ball rolling. And, And so we organized to do a little by the flying by the seat of our pants on on it on the first time in 2014. Got together a group of artists, got some wood blocks, distributed them around. Everybody carved their own pieces and brought them down. Mm -hmm. And we had a printing weekend on Granville Island. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't know if you saw that particular generation of it, but we did a video. Um, At least had the wherewithal to get a videographer down, so it's recorded. Big print Vancouver. Mm -hmm. And... um, Printed, uh, yeah, three or four copies of twelve different artists' work uh, over that three-day, really hot August-long weekend. All right. <laughs> Survived it, and then fairly quickly afterwards, organized an auction. Mm-hmm. And so uh, our, you know, our group, Creative Cultural Collaborations, was a part of that from the start, and um, and then we collaborated on putting together a show and we did a show at the waterfront theater yeah and it, one night put the whole show up in the theater hung the pieces did an auction yeah and so we just kind of made a lot of this up but it, it became a blind silent auction yeah and people bid on them and they bought them and yeah. they bought the wood blocks and that was encouraging right and then at that segued into two projects that we did in 2016 Big Print Jazz which was sponsored by Coastal Jazz and Blues Society Mm -hmm. and so they put the funding up to cover the logistics of it and then we also got a lot of support from other sponsors Mm -hmm. and did that production it was mostly artists that had some affiliation with uh, Jazz Festival or that worked to the music theme in some Mm -hmm. way or other that was a premise of it so some of the artists that were brought in on it had something to do with the jazz festival. And then same summer, just because we really wanted to kill ourselves, we did another one the following month that was another three days, and it was Chinese and Aboriginal artists, Uh specifically, funded by the city of Vancouver by Great Beginnings. And so they got behind it to support the kind of raising the profile of Chinatown and the creative sector Uh of Chinatown and the Chinese-Canadian artists that live and work around there. And we thought it would be really interesting to fuse together aboriginal artists, specifically, and Chinese artists. Mm -hmm. As it turned out, in the course of, because I do a lot of work with First Nations artists, and mural projects particularly, and had done some printing workshops with some of them, Mm -hmm. because I always thought this was such a perfect fusion, right? Mm -hmm. The idea of carving is almost second nature to a lot of the artists that I meet, particularly from coastal aboriginal backgrounds mm-hmm. but they weren't usually making wood blocks from it it's like so, or prints from them. Mm-hmm. A lot of younger artists didn't really know about that process mm-hmm. so I have done some workshops introducing them to that. Yeah. But anyway, so in 2016, so then we did this 10 artists of, of these backgrounds, but one of the artists is actually from both Chinese and aboriginal backgrounds. Oh, okay. Key Toy Joseph is his name. Mm-hmm. So he's uh, Squamish and and, and of Chinese origin as well Mm -hmm. so it was really interesting like this cross-pollination right and and brought out a lot of the interesting histories of the two distinct you know cultural groups and how they actually have a long history together Mm -hmm. Um, largely the catalyst being largely the railway and the building of the railway right so that brought up these two communities and Close proximity to each other, and and so there's a a really long trajectory of their of their their histories that that came out in some interesting ways. So some of the artists are from the the coast here that mm-hmm. worked on that. A couple of them are artists that I work with a lot of. Uh, well, Jerry Whitehead, mm-hmm. who's from uh, of Cree background, and Shriya Marsden, and is uh, a Jibwe um, Anishnabe. And so uh, uh, Heisla Collins uh, is from the coast here. Um, And uh, then Jeanette Lee and uh, June Young and Connie Sable. And anyway, really interesting Mm -hmm. group of people um, working together. So it's all collaborating.
2: You said that surprising overlaps came out of that. Can you give me an example of some of the imagery or some of the approaches?
0: Well... I mean, the most interesting one was Key and his dual background. Right. And that he, I mean, he came up with an image that fused the two together in his mm-hmm. in his one piece. Mm-hmm. So that was a particularly interesting element that kind of brought the two of them together. Right. Uh, it was a real sweat of a job.
2: Yeah. And are they all working big? They're or all four it, by eight. They're all that's, four by that's eight. That's
0: the deal. Oh. That's on MDF. Yeah, we do workshops and um, lend them tools if they don't have any and most artists don't and yeah. so many of them ended up working in my space some on granville island yeah you know carving them mm-hmm. so we were kind of like gut would sort of steer it along through <laughs> the whole process of you know from the concept how you transcribe that up right. from a small sketch some of them we'd enlarge up huge xeroxes yeah and paste them on and then carve through them yeah um others freehand
3: right you know, yeah.
0: But in that way, like murals, right?
2: It is. There's a huge yeah. crossover. There's
0: a huge crossover. Yeah. So, I mean, one of my ideas in the future would be to do something that would actually become a mural. Mm-hmm. You know, where they would link together somehow, From and become link like print to mural. yeah, like structurally that would it would it would you know a little bit like each one would segue into the other one into the other one. Right. But they'd be could be designed individually, but then they would have this sort of linkage. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I just think that would be very cool as a as a wall mural. Yeah. And then I don't know, paste it on a wall somewhere. Yeah, like a white paste kind of.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And have you always been driven to work large?
0: Kind of. I paint pretty large Mm -hmm. until I start running out of storage space. (laughs) (laughs) And and so this is the plus of doing murals is you don't have to store them, right? But even back in the seventies. I guess I did my first mural in at SFU in nineteen seventy mm-hmm. And it was very Mexico inspired, Mexican inspired, but it was about a hundred and twenty foot long wall. Wow. Okay. And that was fun. Yeah. And I really got kinda hooked on mural mural painting and right. on location mm-hmm. at that time. But I it was there wasn't that many available, you know, it wasn't that common a practice here. In fact it was a really a real shortage of Muralism in the northwest of yeah. Canada in general there's a thing happening in Chemainus at the, around that time right. but I was more interested in what was happening in Mexico actually right and then at that time I mean mid 70s I moved into Powell Street and I became in, kind of swept up in the downtown East Side mm-hmm. and so I started doing pieces that were linked together canvases but oh. they were murals actually right. but I could do them in my studio. Yeah.
2: When you say you were swept up in the downtown east side, do you mean artistically, culturally?
0: Well, every every which way, you know, yeah. because you don't. Downtown east side sort of overwhelm me. Yeah. But in a good way.
3: Yeah.
0: It just is a total experience, right? Mm-hmm. And it's, it's art, so it's artistic because I take so much of my inspiration from the street. Mm-hmm. It became my source material, my number one. Mm -hmm. prevailing source material and it still is Mm -hmm. like decades later yeah is my main source of where i get all my material from by that i mean i like i go on the street i work on the street from the from the both the architecture and the dynamics and the human interaction and Mm -hmm. all the human drama and comedy and tragedy of downtown east side Mm -hmm. so that pretty much has permeated both my print work and my painting and uh, as well as murals which you know I I really kind of launched a kind of a campaign in a way Mm -hmm. to introduce murals into the the community and did big projects like in um, in the uh, late 80s called I did one called Art, art against racism but another called arts in action we did stuff downtown east side for a long, long time. Are you
2: doing much um, grant application stuff? Are you like murals? It's an art that you don't create and then sell. What keeps the the mural thing going? Is it, uh, is it funded? Um,
0: usually is funded in one way or other, mm-hmm. and sometimes multiple funders. I've had funding from diverse directions, including the city. Mm-hmm. Uh, have been very supportive organizations like Van City has supported projects general paint has supported projects oh it's just you know multicultural grants have supported many of the schools my inner city mural projects with schools because mm-hmm. I taught mural painting in schools for two decades right um, a lot through uh, artisan residence program with a VSP mm-hmm. so all of these things I mean in the 80s I, I started my own Workshops that became a program in schools. Started with Strathcona School and did some murals there. And I kind of created my own curriculum. Mm -hmm. And so it became something that was quite in demand. Kind of almost without my having to promote it, it promoted itself. Mm -hmm. So for two decades, I was kind of seasonally coordinating mural projects with school kids Mm -hmm. up to university. Worked through various very neat programs with uh ubc working with um co-ed of uh teachers all over the lower mainland right richmond surrey all over the place
2: yeah white rock i've seen you
0: yeah yeah, yeah. well i'm from yeah. white rock so i've done some murals in white rock oh, they yeah. the city has brought me in to do some couple projects there but yeah yeah that's where i grew up oh, okay so yeah, yeah.
2: I grew up not far from you. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, there wasn't a lot of murals then, no. but there's a few more now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
2: So growing up in White Rock, were you always on a path to being an artist? Did you know right from the start?
0: Pretty much. Yeah. Secretly did. Yeah. Well, not so secretly, but you know. Yeah. I guess everybody knew. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> there's no denying it <laughs> well there wasn't really except
0: I mean for a while I was I was, I was studying music mm-hmm. com- at the same time yeah. and I actually went to UBC and studied and, and I was in the music faculty at UBC I wasn't in the art faculty mm-hmm. but that lasted one year I mean I studied piano for over a decade
1: mm-hmm.
0: and uh, but after one year I dropped that and mm-hmm. traveled a lot Mm-hmm. And then started going to art school intermittently. Yeah. But I was always kind of restless with schools. Yeah. So I was in and out and, you know, back and forth with that. But, yeah, back to White Rock, mm-hmm. I, I was, my parents were super supportive. Yeah. And they allowed me the luxury of space and time mm-hmm. to create. And that could have gone any direction and they would have supported it. So, I, you know, I could have been doing anything. Yeah. But but I did yeah, I had shows when I was 16. I was had my first solo show when I was 16. Wow, T- yeah.
2: tell us about your first show. I'm curious what that would be like at that age.
0: Well, yeah, it was pretty you know, I mean my mom was a mover and shaker in White Rock. She was yeah. a, a founder of the White Rock Theater and mm-hmm. you know, she had a, a sort of a network. I mean, I didn't understand about all this stuff back then. I was just into painting, but she organized home show invited a bunch of people media one thing led to another you know um i sold a bunch of work i could continue painting you know it was pretty cool yeah and and i also had other you know teachers in high school who were really key in my continuing as an artist Mm -hmm. right from elementary through to senior high school i had great teachers and mentors yeah you know, there was a Dutch artist who set up a, a studio on the waterfront of White Rock and he was like a painter full time. I thought, this is pretty awesome. Yeah. How somebody. do you do that? <laughs> <laughs> I want to do that, what he's doing. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, it turned out to be a long route because, <laughs> because, you know, subsequently, you know, not everything was easy. I mean, even though I sold work when I was younger, then I kind of challenged kept challenging myself in different ways and Mm -hmm. you know there are long periods of time even though i was showing regularly Mm -hmm. i wasn't necessarily making a lucrative living at it so you know you have to do all these other things on the side and keep it happening
2: how do you find that balance between um between producing things that will sell well at a show bring in an income um to doing passion projects that you just are driven to do where do you find that line you know
0: what I have got to approach everything as a passion project yeah that's a good term for it because I can't do it otherwise I can't really yeah persevere other it doesn't sustain me otherwise so I mean there are some passion projects that certainly are more are more re, um, readily receptive I would say right and there are others that are more my tangents and 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 my themes and that—that, that, you know, for a long period of time, I did work that was just a little too, probably raw, mm-hmm. I would say, mm-hmm. and thematically, maybe too much downtown east side, mm-hmm. if you know what I mean.
1: Yeah.
0: However, you know, I still have some of those pieces, and some of them are out there, right? Mm-hmm. So you can't really say it's just some are more readily accessible and others are going to I think appeal to people who see what your intent is behind it right and regardless of the rawness of it right Mm -hmm. mind you some were too large to fit in anybody's home
3: right yeah
0: and that that, you know so I still have some of those they're out there they're archives right yeah I never felt bad about having archives Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes people come in and they say, wow, it's too bad you can't sell all this. Well, I sell a fair bit. I don't expect to sell everything.
2: I've been in your studio during the crawl. It's, yeah. a, it's a high. <laughs> yeah. a, yeah. there, there are things happening. Yeah, yeah there's things
0: happening. Yeah. So I've been lucky in that, well, I work hard at it, yeah. you know, as you know, you have to. Yeah. So that's never been an issue. But there are directions that are more, yeah, viable, I guess, commercially. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I, I'll go on a theme. And follow that. You have to follow it. You exhaust that theme, and then you move on to another theme. And
1: yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I never know what's going to be re- well received. Actually,
2: yeah, just follow your heart and see yeah. I, I mean, to right now I'm working
0: on a series from traveling in India because mm-hmm. we are oh, a month in India. I saw
2: in those India. sketches; they were beautiful.
0: Yeah. yeah so I, of course, I fill up sketchbooks when I'm traveling, and yeah. now I'm working from those on some handmade paper that I bought at a factory in India. Mm-hmm that I'm running out of quickly, but... Um,
1: just have to go back. But you have to go back, <laughs> right?
0: And so it's a series that evolves out of those drawings. Right. And when you travel, then you have a mo- momentum about that place that lasts for only so long, and then other things take over. So uh-huh. uh, I don't know where that series will go. I kind of have it envisioned as a small s- series, a suite from uh-huh. Rajasthan-inspired drawings. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it was so visual. Ah, Incredible. Very rich. Yeah. And you mm. have
2: put a lot of energy into um, bringing other artists along. You've taught in a lot of different places. You've, you've helped a generation of muralists here get started, printmakers. What has that piece been like amongst the other things that you've
3: done?
0: You know, that, I mean, that's been a kind of an integral part of it all. Uh, I guess it's... It's just you know, it's more fun doing murals as a group. Mm-hmm. Bottom line, I mean, I could do them my, on my own, and yeah. I like, I love designing murals. Yeah, but I, it's more fun being on a scaffold with other people. Yeah. Aside from the fact that it's a lot of work to do it by yourself. Yeah. Even one other person. Yeah. Um, Jerry Whitehead and I, for example, we mm. work really well together, and. very symbiotically we don't you know it's like you become a team you don't have to discuss everything and every color and you just get up there and and intuitively you know we read each other really well and he's a a really hard worker yeah we've worked on murals for example on uh four or five stages of scaffolding under a building wrap in february (laughs) in the snow and you know, about, you not have a to complaint. You've got to have people who are committed, right? Yeah, yeah. Well. It's not easy. It's hard. You know, it's hard work, and s- some people, they just can't cut it. They don't like the height. It's a certain personality, I think, that, right. that works well in that, and it's nonstop work. Mm-hmm. You know, it's 8 hours, 10 hours, you know, set up, clean up, yeah. in the sun, in the wind, whatever the weather is doing.
1: Yeah.
0: It's a, re- it's a real labor Right. Like there's a lot of labor behind getting a good mural up on a wall. Yeah, it's not all not all easy. It's not all like within easy reach. Right. Right. Um, swing stages, scissor mm-hmm. lift, and all that. But I think I think it it grows by collaboration. Yeah. Both in the design stage of it, mm-hmm. you know, like some of the murals that I've done, like the Russian Hall, for example, there have been teams of like 30 people working on it yeah you know both on collaborating so we do all these design sessions in advance of it that can go on for months and months and months and then and then you get the design approved by like in that case the russian hall Mm -hmm. because it was their building (coughs) and then you go from that to getting the work crew together and the ones that are going to put the scaffold up every day and be on the wall painting it yeah and pressure washing it and you know like all of that yeah the logistics so the logistics of it um Through the Eye of the Raven on Hastings Street is six stories high. Mm -hmm. And that was uh, funded like through the city, Great Beginnings, and through Vancouver Native uh, Housing. Mm -hmm. And they brought us in on it because they had this huge blank wall of an old but refurbished um, hotel Mm -hmm. that became uh, housing, social housing. And a fantastic venue, but six stages, six stories high, and we couldn't build a scaffold against the wall. We had to swing stage it. Yeah. That was a new r- learning experience, right? Yeah. So uh, part of doing a mural, being the team leader in that, was figuring out the logistics, all the stuff around, you know, how that scaffold would work, how the design would be have to be created in stages and swaths across the wall, mm-hmm. beginning to end, yeah. each drop. Because then you move it, and it costs money to move the swing stage. And every, so the whole mural evolved in strips across it, yeah. 30-foot strips. One hundred and fifty feet long. Wow!
1: Yeah.
2: Do you ever start one of these big projects, get partway into it, and just think, "What have I done to myself?" <laughs>
1: <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: Sometimes. <laughs> Sometimes. That's where you need a team, right? Because yeah. it's like they kind of keep you, your 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 energy, your spirit up there. But mm-hmm. they they definitely kind of take. They work. There's a workout. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that that one on Hastings, we always joked about it being a, a weight loss program as well, because <laughs> everybody people lost like ten pounds on yeah. the mural, yeah, from five months, five weeks of work. Yeah, it well, I've like...
2: I've only ever done one, and in that, and it was in a very lonely stairwell in a in a tiny town in Sicily, uh-huh. and it would be like I, I probably have to eat something I've had to go to the bathroom for two hours <laughs> yeah. but I don't want to leave my stuff yeah. and I don't want to stop yeah. And yeah, uh, you
0: get totally riveted you do yeah. you really do yeah. yeah but you know I always love like like I've done a lot of labor jobs in my you yeah. know past of part-time jobs mm-hmm. so I like construction and logistics of it and I you know I've done worked as a glazier I've worked in you know all kinds of different capacities and and on the waterfront and the docks and stuff so it, in some way I think it sort of feeds into because I'm not uh, intimidated about talking to uh, you know building people and carpenters or engineers or yeah you know it's all kind of interesting tile yeah. mosaic how does that work right like
2: right.
0: you got to figure it out
2: yeah Do you think it's fair to say that as artists or creators, we are more likely to take all the random parts of our life and bring them into our work?
0: You know, I think some artists work very, they're very specific in their field. And so they can go to the studio and be just focused on that. And that, for me, it does. It it brings everything into it. Yeah. But then... My way of working is a little bit more turning the inside out, you know. Like the, the studio is a place to do the work, but the, my source material is always from. It's an interpretation of the external world, right? Is one way to say it, but it comes through me and becomes internalized, right? So in that way, it's a real fusion. Yeah. Whereas some artists work more through their inner, inner selves. I think. Mm-hmm. For yeah. me, I like the blend between the two right. the same way as i like the blend between realism and abstraction yeah it's more it's more vital somehow
2: yeah which is exactly what you nail in every format that you're doing it's got that dream like quality you kind of know what it is but you're intrigued by it and yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 i love
0: this idea of like art being like almost like a waking dream yeah you know that great um uh, fresco by diego rivera of a, a dream in the day of Alameda Central, mm-hmm. which is in um, Alameda Park. Yeah. And it has the compressed history mm-hmm. of all these um, significant events that had happened in and around that park. Yeah. For, for over, like, since the revolution and, yeah. and pre-Columbian up to, you know, his time, contemporary time. Yeah. I mean, I just love that.
2: Yeah. I w- that piece took me by surprise because you see it in a book and you think, yeah. oh, that's, you know, that's like, a little bit of everything at that little, time. And then right. you stand in front of it, you and have to see your it. brain explodes. Well, it's, you know, yeah.
0: I don't know if you know the history of that mural, but it used to be in a hotel across the street from Alameda called the Hotel Del Prado. Right. Hotel Prado, I think it was. Mm-hmm. And in the 80s, I knew about it. I. Took Esther there. I said, Look, we got to go there. We can't afford to stay in this place, but we'll go sit and have a, have a drink and look at this fresco. And you saw it, it before it came down. It was a freestanding wall. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh-huh. we were like, I don't know, we were traveling in, down to Chiapas and whatnot. Um, a couple of years later, we came back after the earthquake. The whole building had collapsed around the fresco. They had taken and retrieved it. And the fresco was not damaged and built that museum that's now in the park. So they built a museum around it, which is fantastic. Because yeah. it's got all the maquettes and, you know, information yeah. a, about it. But it used to be in a, in a, like a cocktail lounge kind of a thing.
2: Oh, wow. Yeah. I heard a little bit of that history when I got there and had seen the pictures of them putting it together. And you just can't imagine that it was ever mm-hmm. not where it is. Yeah, it's, it's, I know. It's impeccable. so perfect where yeah. it
0: is. But it was like a private commission, yeah. you know. So, I mean, that was a really fantastic, yeah. inspirational piece. Yeah. I mean, a lot of his work has this dream-like. Mm-hmm. element to it even yeah. though you know he's recounting history of Mexico from indigenous kind of perspective yeah. um, he's extrapolating a lot but there's a sort of a dream like aspect yes. the way that he formulates his compositions and and different than Siqueiros who's more like uh, really in your face, you know, yeah. expressionistic and and uh, lots of bodies, <laughs> imp- impassioned and of the moment and very very yeah. visceral. Yeah, he's more like uh, Soutine or somebody, right? Yeah. A, a painter. But uh, and then Orozco is another. You know, he's like this dark force. Mm-hmm. You know, or I see him as that. Yeah, but amazing. They're all equally amazing. Yeah,
2: they really are. Yeah, do you have any? Uh, are there locations or buildings that you think, oh, I'd love to get my hands on that and that would be my magnum opus?
0: Yeah, there's always good walls, you know. I mean, one does notice them. Yeah.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> and, and, I mean, then, then it's a question of, yeah, what would go there? And I mean, you can imagine all kinds of things in different locations. You know i like the idea now of like sequences of murals and Mm -hmm. you know districts and all of that is 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 quite neat i mean i'm working on a mural right now for a location we're not disclosing quite yet but um it's really Mm -hmm. cool working with the youth group and uh, my colleague sharifa marston um, Mm on designing it and uh yeah it's shaping up yeah so that's coming up this year.
2: When you can tell us, let me know, and I'll tag oh, okay. it into the All show right. notes okay. so people are listening to this. Yeah, and, it's, yeah, yeah. and you have another show coming up right about now, don't you? A
0: couple things that yeah, I'll mention. One is uh, tied in with the Vancouver International Dance Festival. Mm-hmm. is a three-person show of Esther Rosenberg, uh, Louise Francis Smith, and myself. They're they're both photographers. I'm a painter in our perspectives of Chinatown. Mm-hmm called Fugitive Streets, Chinatown. Mm-hmm. And that will be at the Roundhouse, March 7th launch mm-hmm. of 2018. Mm-hmm. So that will be out for the duration of the festival. Mm-hmm. And then we're mounting a big print exhibit on uh, Salt Spring Island. Oh. The Duthie Gallery is organizing it. Mm-hmm. And it'll be at uh, Mahon Hall, which is in Ganges. Okay, yeah. It's a big, big community hall. Yeah, yeah i be showing some of the big print there and tying that in with a weekend workshop that yeah. I'm um, coordinating, printmaking workshop.
2: And are you going to... Is We're not doing a, steamroller, okay. no. no.
0: <laughs> it, tempting though it is, but it, we need yeah. more than two days to do that. So yeah. it'll be a, a printmaking workshop.
2: Yeah. There's probably not a lot of loose steamrollers rolling up and down Ganges. <laughs> you know
0: what? It could be organized. Yeah, You need a good flat area to do it. You need yeah. a lot of lead time. It pretty much needs a year. But there is a real burgeoning interest in printmaking Mm -hmm. um, and relief printing, it seems, you know. Like Salt Spring, I've been teaching through the Duthie Gallery there for 10 years. Usually every spring I do a print class of a couple days and sells out there as mostly artists working in other mediums but they're really interested in expanding their repertoire or expanding their yeah. knowledge of printing
2: don't you find that artists when they see printmaking gear they have an emotional response to it that is always no matter what medium they work in they see it and they kind of do this oh like yeah. there's a yeah. there's a memory yeah. of carving mm-hmm. into something when you're a kid when exactly you first, yeah so like yeah. almost
0: everybody has some mm-hmm. element of a memory. Yeah. Of carving something, printing something, like even the most basic. Mm-hmm. And yet then they stop doing it. Yeah. So quite a few of the people that take my classes are coming from that perspective. So they know a little bit about tools, but, you know, yeah. I kind of introduce all of that. And then color mixing and different yeah. color processes. Yeah. yeah, working with kids is great because it does, it reintroduces or it introduces for a first time that whole Thing of you know the magic of printing, right? Yeah, yeah there's a even a, a, even if it's like you know styrofoam and scratching it with a pen, yeah, or a pencil, you know, and yeah. then inking that, you can do workshops with that. Is and a, you know, it's portable, water based, all of that fun, um, right yeah. on.
2: Well, I know for me, when I first my first printmaking experience of really learning was coming to one of your workshops, uh-huh. and it yeah. has, yeah. Uh, so thank you because. I've right. had a good fun run with it. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, It's addictive. It is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you for taking this time to talk great, with Carol. me. Is there anything we didn't cover that you'd love to?
0: I don't know. Just a shout out to all my mural colleagues out there. And great bunch. Right on. Yeah. Yay. Yay.
2: Awesome. Thanks. You've been listening to Two Artists Walk Into a Bar. I'm your host artist, Carol McQuaid. For full show notes and all the links, head to twoartistswalkintoabar.com. If you liked the episode, remember to subscribe, sign up for updates, and leave us a review. And if you loved the episode, head to twoartistswalkintoabar.com and buy us our next round. Cheers.